take an outline from the back, giving you a little sneak peek into um, our next series we're going to be doing, or our next series I'll be preaching is going to be from the book of James. I'm very excited about this. We'll be in finishing Acts very soon. I'll spend a few weeks in Psalms, and then beginning in September, we'll start uh, the book of James. And it's one of my <clears throat> one of my favorite books. I've taught through this book many times uh, in Bible studies, uh, Sunday school classes, and now to get to preach through it, I'm excited. Uh, about that. This passage right here, James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, is one of the more significant or one of the more helpful passages. And I tell you where it's especially helpful, and that often when I am um, working with someone, whether it's through counseling or whether it's just one-on-one or whether it's just talking to somebody who's struggling with a particular issue, there are two kinds of people Uh, who deal with sin. There are some kinds of people who need to know what to do, and there are some kinds of people who know what they should be doing but aren't doing it. And often when people need to know what to do, it's fun, it's encouraging, it's exciting. You get to show them and teach them the Word of God, and they do it. I've met many people like this who, when you teach them something, they're like a sponge. They just, they'll do it. What scares me is people who've been in church for a long time are often in the second category people like you and me, that we, we, we know truth, we hear truth, but we aren't very good at doing truth, right? We know what the right thing to do is. It's not a matter of understanding. It's not a matter of education. It's a matter of obedience, right? So um, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll dive in this passage. Lord, I pray you give us wisdom and grace as we look at the scripture. I pray you'd help us to be able to evaluate our own hearts and evaluate our own thoughts, And I pray, God, that you would um, just open up this scripture to us and help us to help others through this as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dan, I'm going to ask you, do you mind turning on the big lights? I forgot to turn these on, and uh, he's going to get that in just a minute. It will help uh, see a little bit better. Okay, so here's the problem uh, this passage addresses before we dive in. Number one, we know what we should be doing. There we go. But we aren't doing it. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that uh, or this is, this, I guess, number two on my list here, is this is one of the scariest places for Christians to find themselves. And the third thing I want to point out that what this passage really deals with is that real change happens in the heart. We cannot just make outward changes. Outward changes are, are superficial. Uh, we're, we're not setting ourselves up for long-term growth. Let's look at what this passage tells us about the attitude for change. Verse 19 and 20. Can someone read this for me? James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Who's got it? Okay, Georgina. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Very good. Okay, so uh, therefore, or so then, my beloved brethren. So who's he speaking to? To Christians, okay? Speaking to beloved brothers, that's you and me, brothers and sisters in Christ. Let every person, this applies to everybody. This does not just apply to pastors. It does not just apply to older people. It does not just apply to adults. It applies to every person. Let every man be what? Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So the blanks are be a listener, not a talker. Be a listener, not a talker. Uh, we need to be swift to hear. We need to, our, our priority ought to be to listen. Uh, secondly, we ought to put away wrath, put away anger. 
It will not accomplish God's purposes for your life. This is a lot like the, the um, put off, renew, put on we saw from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Remember, put off the old man, renew the mind, put on the new man. And we are to put off wrath. We are to be swift to hear, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. What are we normally? We're normally quick to talk, and we're quick to, uh, to, to be angry. Um, and normally, have you, have you ever talked to someone and you had to say the same thing like five times to them to finally understand what you were saying? And it's not because you were being inarticulate or something. They just weren't hearing you. I'm like, no, no, listen to me. <laughs> As usually with my children, listen to me. <laughs> listen to what I am saying with my mouth, right? It is, it is difficult because we are not very quick to hear. We often are daydreaming when other people are talking. And let's be frank, I've, I've said this a million times, but when you talk to somebody, you can normally tell when they're thinking about what they're going to say, right? They're not listening to you. They, they, you said something that all of a sudden tricks something in their brain, and so they're, don't be that person. The Bible tells us we should be swift to hear. We should be ready to hear. We should be listeners and not known as talkers. What are we swift to hear? Um, broadly, we should be more interested in listening and hearing from others than revealing our own minds. Can somebody read Proverbs 29, 11 for me? Um, Proverbs twenty nine eleven. Does anybody have that verse? Yes, sir. Go ahead. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. A fool gives full vent to his spirit or his feelings. A fool speaks all of his mind. Uh, it is foolish to constantly be talking about what you're thinking about. That's what the Bible tells us, a full vents everything he thinks. So broadly, if we speak with broad strokes here, as a person, you should be more interested in listening from others than revealing what you're thinking. I mean, just from a practical standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? What's in your mind is not super interesting. You already know it, right? It's already there. Why don't you listen to what somebody else has to say? Perhaps you'll learn something. Uh, you should be a person who is, generally speaking, listening. This is an important detail because this is contrary to our culture today. Listen to this. Our culture today tells us that truth and change comes from within. What does the Bible tell us? Where does true change and where does truth come from? From outside of us. We have to take in truth. All right? You will never hear me say, look deep within. The answer is, oh, I've been there the whole time. Like, that's, that's like the, 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 the closing pitch of every movie sold to kids these days is inside your heart. Follow your heart. Inside your heart is the real answer. You were there. You were right the whole time. Okay, that's not a biblical answer. A biblical answer is a fool needs to be instructed by wisdom. And so we are Christians, right? We look at what the Bible has to say, and we, don't re- we realize the fact that we are fools. Left to ourselves, we need input. We need God to speak to us. We need revelation. That's what this is. This is revelation from God, outside truth being brought to us. So if we are going to be Christians, we need to be listening people, right? Would you agree with that? We need to be listening people, people who listen And um, our willingness here, I believe, specifically is talking about taking input from God and listening to the truth of the Bible. So how do you know if you are swift to hear? I have two uh, key things here. There are probably 10 or 12 different things, but two key identifiers if you're swift to hear. Are you quick? Are you ready and quick to listen to correction? When people have a word of correction for you, you, are you ready to hear it? Like, do you take out a pencil? and get ready. Okay, tell me, like, what what do I need to change? Are you ready, or do you instead get defensive? 
right? Typically, people uh, will get defensive instead of listening for the correction. Are you quick to lead, uh, listen to a correction? Uh, secondly, are you quick to pursue help? Are you quick to pursue help? Be a listener, not a talker. Be one who is, has an attitude for change. This is the very important attitude aspect we begin here, is your attitude has to be that of a listener. Okay, my attitude is a listener. Again, I do not have the answers inside of me. I need the answers brought to me. I need to change my life in accordance with truth that's outside of myself. All these things are very core foundational biblical truths. Okay, we good so far? Let's keep going. What is the prerequisite to change? Verse 21, he says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. I, I, I tell you what, I use the New King James, but I really miss the King James on this phrase. Superfluity of naughtiness is one of my favorite uh, phrases in the King James uh, translation of the Bible. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Notice these statements, okay? You, you must continue to put off We must lay aside what? We lay aside filthiness. So the prerequisite for change is we must lay aside filthiness. There is a moral component to receiving truth. It is not an academic exercise. If you sit there in a math class, it doesn't matter if you are an immoral person or a moral person. You generally can consume mathematical principles on the same level, but when we're talking about biblical moral truth, there is a moral element. People who are morally compromised have a hard time believing truth. If you, if, and often, it's, it's been my experience dealing with people, they morally compromise before they doctrinally compromise. People stop believing in God after they have morally compromised. They don't stop believing in God and then morally compromise. Does that make sense? They engage their flesh, they engage the lusts of their flesh, they follow a path of whatever, and then that leads them into filthiness, and that filthiness compromises their morals, or their morals have been compromised here, and then their doctrine becomes compromised. Normally, it follows that path. And we see that even in Romans chapter 1. So we are to lay aside filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. Overflow of wickedness, or as I said, superfluity of naughtiness, this idea of a bubbling over or an excessive wickedness. Now, I have a hard question for you. Who is this written to? Can Christians have filthiness and wickedness in their lives? Can they have an overflow of wickedness in their lives? Absolutely. There's a lot of people out there who say, no, no, true Christians can't, can't have that kind of sin. If they have that kind of sin, they're not true Christians. I, I don't know. It says it's written to believers here, to brethren, and he's calling them to lay aside filthiness and lay aside this kind of overflow of wickedness. I think that Christians struggle with this stuff. You can be a Christian, you can have a life that doesn't look anything like Christ. You, you know, you need to lay the, but in order to grow, you have to start by laying this stuff. You're not going to grow if you have filthiness and this uh, superfluity of naughtiness building up in your heart. You're not going to. You are going to be stuck in, in gross um, uh, rejection of truth. Um, I, I, this word he says next is you are then to do what? Lay aside filthiness, lay aside the overflow of wickedness, and do what? I heard it. Go ahead and say it louder. Receive. I say say it louder, and you go receive. You like whisper it. <laughs> no, no, no. I need somebody to shout. There you go. Receive. Receive what? The word. We'll talk about the modifiers in a second. How are we to receive it? With, well, what does the passage say? With meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is humility, right? With meekness. 
receive with meekness. Again, the idea of receive is to accept or to believe it, but you need meekness. You need humility to receive it because it takes humility to be a listener. You're not going to be a listener if you're not humble. Pride, pride, prideful people, proud people talk constantly, normally about themselves, okay? Listeners are humble people. Well, humble people are listeners. Let me put it that way. Not every listener is a humble person, but humble people listen. So, you need to be a humble person who has meekness, who receives the truth. And how, how is it described here? Receive with meekness the what? Implanted word. That's an interesting phrase. The idea is, is that it, it becomes a core part of who you are. It becomes implanted in your life and in your heart. It is not fake. It is deeply integrated into your life, so much so that it flows naturally out of you. Some people have certain facts or certain things, topics, deeply implanted in them, right? Some, some men are obsessed with World War II, right? You talk to them, and at some point, they're going to, well, that reminds me, you know, the submarine class, you know, that, that, that destroyed so many whatever in the, and you start talking to them, and it, somehow it comes out about, you know, these certain destroyers or some battle of whatever, and okay, that's interesting, you know, but that they have become so wrapped up in this topic that it becomes everything they talk about. Eventually, it works itself out, and that's the way the Scripture is supposed to be about us. The truth is supposed to be so implanted in us that we start to see our whole world through the lens of Scripture, and that is how we should live, because we should see everything through God's eyes, not through our eyes. It should become deeply implanted. Receive with meekness the implanted word. And what is that able to do? What does that word do for us? It rescues us. It saves our souls, right? It saves us. It rescues us. So what is the, what is the process of change? So deeply, the, the phrase there, if you're looking for your blanks, receive the word means to accept. Uh, the Receive it with meekness. And the implanted word means deeply integrated, integrated into your life. So what is the process of change? We've talked about put off, renew, put on. We've talked about all sorts of process of change. We'll talk about First John later in the process of knowing God and confessing sin. But let's look at this process of change in verse 22. He says, but instead be what? Be doers of the word and not, not hearers only. I thought you said, I need to be a listener. Yeah, you are, but that's just the first step. You can't just be a listener. This is the problem. If you're just a listener and you're not a doer, you're not going to grow. Um, listen, yes, that's good. Take in. But if, you, if that's where it stops, you know, um, we're, wa- we're supposed to be like a river where water flows in and it goes out in actions. If it comes in and stops, it becomes stagnant, and that's where mosquitoes build their nests, right? And that's, nobody wants to be there. It's gross. Stinks. We want to flow. We want doing, not just hearing. So look at what he says. Be a doer and not just a hearer only. How do you implant the Word of God deeply in your life so it becomes part of who you are and how you think it must work itself out in your actions? Because being a doer of the Word is important. One who is a hearer only is engaged in what sin? What does it say? Self-deception. If you are a hearer only you are deceiving yourself. Self-deception. Okay. The Bible has a lot to say about self-deception. In fact, I'm thinking of doing a whole 
thing on self-deception. I've been taking notes on this for a while. It's fascinating. So many people in the Bible were self-deceived. They lied to themselves. Um, We're not going to get into too much of that right now. But what does foolish self-deception look like? Look at verses 22 and 20, or 23 and 24. The question becomes, what do you do with this information that you get? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, so if anyone is this kind of person, it, he says, be a doer, not just a hearer. But if you're only going to be a hearer and not a doer, I'm going to paint a picture of what you're like. He is like a man or a person observing his natural face in a mirror. What does natural face mean? Can somebody give me a colloquial definition? What's that? Physical face. face. I think it's a little more than that. The face you're born with. Okay. The face you wake up with. There it is. That's it. It's the face you wake up with. Now, nobody walks outside or should not walk outside unless you're like nine. You know, my kids, I go in, I'm like, Did, has your hair been like that all day? And they're like, what? <laughs> and the answer is, yes, <laughs> it's been like this. Oh, Matt doesn't have to worry about that problem, do you? No. Um, but, uh, but some of us, you know, we wake up, we look in the mirror, and we see things about our face that need to be changed. Uh, if you're a man who shaves, you say, I need to shave. Uh, you probably need to brush your teeth. You might check your teeth and notice some food left over. That's not good. You might notice some uh, stray hairs need to be taken care of. You, you need to probably comb your hair or brush your hair or do something to your, to your physical appearance. Ladies, you might need to do something else. You, know, you might need to take out your makeup and do something there. I don't know what all that is, but you do something uh, to, to, you know, beautify, you know, and, um, and you go through this process every morning, right? The picture is amazing. He says, it's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And it's not that he does not see himself. Okay, he has a good mirror. He sees himself. Um, For he observes himself, verse 24. He looks and he observes and he takes close notice of all the problems with his face. And he says, wow, yeah, I've got a, you know, some stuff hanging off my nose here. And I've got some some stuff in my eye and I've got my hair is all sideways and I, I need to shave and got broccoli in my teeth or whatever gross things are going on. He observes himself and then what? Goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. This is the picture of someone who reads their Bible, closes it, and walks out the door. And you say, what did you just read? Oh, something about God. Not really sure. Um, this, is, this is extremely dangerous because if you forget what kind of man you are, that's opposite of implanted. Like the implanted word, you can't forget. Like if, you're impl- if those truths are so deeply part of you, it's like no matter what happens, you can't forget. You can't not see it. There are things you can't unsee, things you can't unlearn. It's just part of who you are. It's part of your identity. You just, you just know it. Yet the opposite of that is someone who, who can't know it. They're just completely oblivious to it. So he says, don't be like this. This is a fool. Can you imagine how foolish it would be to go through all the work of looking at the problems you have and not doing anything about it? So don't be a person who, who knows the truth but doesn't act on the truth. And, and he gives a contrast in the next, uh, the, the next verse, verse 25, uh, which is wise and blessed. He says, um, uh, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, notice he calls the Bible the law of liberty, which is fascinating because most of the time we think of laws as not related to liberty, but a restriction. But it's the law of liberty because it liberates us. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be what? 
can be blessed. Yeah. Blessed in what he does. So look into the law, continue in it. To continue means to embrace it, to walk in obedience to it, to make it a central part of your thinking. This person is a doer. He is a blessed, a makarios. Makarios is the word Jesus uses in, in, the, um, in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the meek, blessed are they, blessed are these. That's the same word there. So what does it look like to actually live out God's truth and God's religion? What does it look like? He actually defines it for us in two specific ways in verses 26 and 22. Who can read uh, James 1.26 for me? Uh, okay, yes, sir. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not pride with his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worth Okay. The first point he makes about someone who thinks he's religious but does not do what? Control his speech. Okay, if you have a hard time controlling your speech, he is very harsh. James is harsh with us. He says, if you don't bridle your tongue, that is, if you can't control your mouth, you are lying to yourself. If you, well, if you think you're religious. If you think yourself to be religious, if you think of yourself as a very religious person, and if you can't control what comes out of your mouth, and this is not just cuss words. We're talking about if you find yourself cutting people down, if you find yourself boasting, if you find yourself doing things that, that saying things that you always are having to take back, if you can't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your heart, your religion is, is worthless. It's useless. It's useless. Very dangerous. And, and I think that's one thing that the tongue is one thing we all struggle with in one way or another. And it's scary to think, can you control your tongue? Well, are you being a hearer or are you being a doer? Secondly, the second area he gives is in verse 27. Um, he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Amazingly, what he, nailed, what he, he puts as the central part of religion is a love for others and love for God. And I, the way I define that is he says, first, you need to do things for the needy. Visit the orphans and widows in their trouble. Love people. And keep yourself unspotted from the world. What does that look like? What does it look like to keep yourself unspotted from the world? How does one, how does one do such a thing? Undefiled. Undefiled. Don't, look like Don't look like the world. Can you think of any verses that would teach us how to think about the world around us? Yeah, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Don't, two, two specifically says, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I put a couple there on your sheet. First John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? You know this verse, is not in him. You can't love God and love the world at the same time. If your heart is captured by the things of this world, you're not captured by Jesus. Your heart is not captured by him. You must love either the world or the love of the Father. You can't be uh, swept up in pursuing money your whole life and also be swept up in pursuing God because you cannot serve God and mammon. Right? You have to choose. Uh, another verse here, James 4, 4, later in the book, he says, adulterers and adulteresses. Whew, it's harsh. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy 
of God. That's why he says, keep yourself unspotted from the world. Do not allow the world to taint you or to, to, to cause you to be... The word the idea of spotted is that you are being uh, spoiled. You are being um, stained by the world. Right? The world is it's having its effect on you. You're smelling like the world. We used to go bowling when I was a kid to birthday parties. We'd go bowling. That's the only time we could go to the bowling alley is to go to birthday parties because back then bowling alleys would stink so bad. I don't know if you remember this, but used to, people smoke and drink in bowling alleys like they wouldn't smoke or drink anywhere. And maybe except bars, I guess. I mean, because it, it felt like you were, you were walking in a bar and uh, we'd go to bowling alleys for birthday parties. For some reason, that was a good idea. For, for all the kids in my friend group love bowling alleys for birthday parties. So that's what we do. We go to the bowling alley, we eat terrible pizza and bowl for like three hours, and then we come home. And we come home, my mom would make me change my clothes before I walked in the house. Why? I didn't smell it. After a while, you're in it. You don't smell it. You don't notice it. And then you, 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 somebody smells it. Somebody comes next to you and goes, whoa, where have you been? And it's like, well, I've been at the birthday party at the bowling alley, and I smell like cigarettes and beer and I'm 10. <laughs> That's not a good thing, right? Well, there you are. There you are, and you stink, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I remember one time she made us take a shower because she's like, it's in your skin. It's in your hair. Take a shower. You stink. And uh, it doesn't help that when you're a little boy and you're, you're sweaty and stinky already, you know. But think about it. Like, there is, you become used to it. You get into it. You become part of it. It, it, it attaches itself to you, and it clings into your fibers, and, and it becomes such a part of you that you don't even know it's there, and, and yet it takes someone who's not a part of it to see it or to sense it. Can you understand why it's important for you to be a hearer and be a listener? When someone comes into your life and, and says, hey, what's going on with such and such? Why are you doing this? That's a worldly stink you have on you. This is a great thing that husbands and wives have for each other, is that they are very close to each other. And often when a spouse says, I don't think you ought to be watching that on TV, what does a husband say? Stay out of my business, right? Or you listen, you read those stupid books, right? Defensive and immediately casting, going back, instead of saying, you know what, this is the person God has put in my life to challenge my spiritual growth. I ought to be a listener and not just a talker. We ought to listen when people speak into our lives. So be careful. Religion in action. What does it look like? You say you're religious. You say you're a Christian. What does it look like? Do you love people? Do you care about people who have lost a lot? It describes them here as um, orphans and widows, people who have lost their loved ones, visiting them, like loving them, caring for them. To visit is activity, doing stuff for them. Um, Or do you just... um, sit around and talk about theology. One of the things that used to burn me up when I was in seminary was, um, you, you know, there were some people who would talk big. I know this is no surprise to you guys, but it was a surprise to me, I think, because as a, as a young person, I thought that everybody who was studying for the scripture or studying, or sorry, studying for the ministry was interested in actually doing the work of the ministry, but that's not the case. Some people study for ministry for their own reasons, and they want to be puffed up. And so they'll sit around and drink coffee and talk big theological talks, but they'll never go help somebody. You know, that's sad. That's, that's, that's worthless religion. Religion is meant to put feet to our love. Feet. Love people and then love God. Uh, any questions or comments or thoughts on this passage? This is a real challenge. And I challenge you, as you're thinking of your questions or comments, 
that one of the ways to practically apply this is when you come in interaction with God's Word. When are you going to come into interaction with God's Word? Yes, ma'am. Oh, you blank people, right? All about the blanks. Um, the tongue is, is verse 26. And love for others, love for God is the next one. So religion and action is seen in the tongue, the tongue, and love for God, love for, God, love for others, love for God. Um, you, come into, you come into exposure to God's word through Bible reading in your personal life, in your personal devotions. You should be reading your Bible every day. I mean, there's just no reason why you can't spend 5 to 10 to 15 to an hour, minutes to an hour, depending on your time. Some people have five minutes uh, in a day. Some people have 15. Some people have more. You should be spending at least five minutes with God. I mean, that is, that is something every person can do. It's not impossible. Five minutes. What's five minutes? It's nothing. And you'll find, um, I remember when I started making commitments to really do this, I started realizing that I didn't have to, to, to set a timer anymore because as I learned to spend time with God, it got longer and longer until I was having to stop myself and say, ah, oh, man, it's already been that hour. It's gone. And so I have to go take a shower and go to work, right? This happens if you actually spend time with God. Um, it'd be hard at first, but you need to. You need to spend time. If you're not doing that, if you're just like listening to the radio in the morning or looking at your phone or checking your, like, spend time with God. In fact, we used to have a rule that I would share with when I was a counselor at the Wilds, I would share with our other counselors, I was a lead counselor there, is I'll say, guys, just do Bible before breakfast. That's the main thing, Bible before breakfast. Just spend some time with God before you eat any food. You know, Jesus says his words are more important than bread, so let's put it in action. I mean, it's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but I think it works. So spend time with God. When you look at God's word, come to it with the attitude of, I'm going to obey it. It's simple. It's not, that's not a profound thought, but it, but it is amazing to me how many people don't come to God's word with the idea that they're already going to obey it. They're like, oh, it's negotiable. Like, we'll see what happens. First, tell me what God wants me to do, and then I'll think about it. They would never articulate that, but that's what they're thinking in their heart, right? So when the word is preached, when the word is taught, when people present the word of God, when you read the word of God, and the spirit is working in your life, and spirit's convicting you of sin, spirit's convicting you of truth, just believe and obey. Do it. And, and, and put it in action. Somehow make a, make a commitment to do it that week. Do something. Do something to follow out. Don't just like imagine it. Do it. So if God convicts you of not being loving to your neighbor, next door neighbor, make a note and on, Tuesday, on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, go over there and give him a coffee cake or something. Like do something. Give him a track. Give him a loaf of bread. Share the gospel with him or say, you know, just thinking about you. I hope you're having a good day. Love you. You know, something like that. Like put feet to your action. Don't just think about it. Sound good? All right. Any other questions or comments before we close? Yes, sir. Bill. I know somebody, I used to go, but I know people in church and they do this and they do that. Well, they do this and they do that because they're not doing exactly what you were saying, spending time in the Word of God every day. And the only way you can grow as a Christian, it's not because you're 20, 50, or 70 years old. It's because you've spent time in the Word of God every day. You grow by reading the Word of God no matter how old you are. And you can be an older person and be in church and, and not be growing at all. You're just like a little baby because you've not allowed the Word of God to, to penetrate your heart. And so that's what happens with unsaved people. A lot of times they hear or they go, and you know, there's problems, there's, so why go? It's because Christians, they may have accepted Christ, but they're not growing because they're not in the Word of God. 
And therefore, yeah. they're allowing the outside influence of the world affect their lives more than the Word of God because they're not in it. And it's a shame. A lot, a lot of Christians are very worldly people. And we need to be careful about the world creep into our life. Instead, be a listener. Be a doer of the Word, not just a, not just a, a listener. Be a listener first and then be a doer. And I challenge you to do that this week. Find something in God's Word to do. Not just to believe, not just to think, but to do. Find something that God's Word is teaching you to do. And I, I think it will challenge you to walk with him better. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for giving us your word that teaches us all these things. I pray we would be, be not only believers, but obedient believers. We would live out, act out what your word teaches us to do and live it out daily. That we would make decisions that follow you, Lord, and, and love others and love you. And we'd watch our tongue. That we would not be become um, enamored with the world, but we would we would smell like Christ to people around us because we've been around you and around your word so much. It would be implanted in us and come out of us because it's what we do. I pray our lives would be uh, a sweet aroma to you. And I pray, Lord, you'd bless this week as we serve you. Thank you for this time we've had in the middle of the week to dedicate time to prayer and studying your word. It blesses us as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen.